Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Yes, we do want people to stop dying, Mike. That is, I, I think that's what most people would want, right? You've got to prevent people from dying nowadays rather than just hitting bottom. <laughs> well, let's just do a don't die update. So Milwaukee wow. is fucking exploding up there. Those guys are kicking ass. They're making us look bad, Mike. Chuck. Wait, they're exploding they, how? They're, they, they're out in the community. They got shirts. They're get, taking pictures of people with the shirts. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I have seen they're that. Really, yeah. Me and Kirta Baruth, who made Bob and the Monster, are going up there in May to film a little thing with them for the Aloe website. And and uh, so then, all of a sudden, this guy Mike's gonna, he's starting Syracuse, New York. Oh, right? good. I hope he doesn't show us up. Are we just three lazy fucks from Orange County who can't... <laughs> we, can th- we can think of an idea, but we can't, like, take any action on it? It's so... Listen, it's so sunny and nice out here, and it's so cold there. There's nothing to do. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's that. And there's also the other thing. Remember you saying, we wanted to get this ball rolling and then have other people pick it up and run with it because you said... Almost that same thing. We want to be the, the starting point for this. I'll only carry it so oh, yeah, far. Not, we don't have to do anything. We want to else. be the we want to be the farm team. It's a very <laughs> heavy rock. <laughs> it's a heavy. So, anyways, I just I commend those guys in Milwaukee and now this thing in Syracuse. And if you're out there and you want to start a chapter of Don't Die, it's a simple thing. We just want to reduce people dying of drugs. That's it. However you accomplish that, whatever you think's a good educational tool or or out in the community idea or in 12 step or or work at the place where you work or w- whatever you think will help achieve young people not dying of drugs just use the moniker don't die and get out there and do it so to get a don't die certificate it costs what 10 percent of your gross earnings or <laughs> no. is there a flat don't fee even joke about that people <laughs> will immediately not do it you can use our name. We'll help in any way we can. Just do whatever you got to do. And and really, uh, I'm excited about it because I, I think that that it's just such a simple message. And simple messages that you can take and use however you want to. If you want to start a... Uh, Chrissy was talking on... Chrissy and I have a podcast now. She was saying, we need a new D.A.R.E. program. We need a new, more honest way of talking to teenagers in school. I just got off the phone with a guy that's doing something. It's called uh, "Stop Before You Start." Oh, that really? He's taking to the kids, yeah. And and you know anybody just we got to reduce young people dying before they even live and figure out what life's all about. It's just crazy. So we're, uh, we're fighting the evil empire. There's a new evil empire, and it's a conspiracy to kill lots of Americans. That's what I think. Well. It definitely, I don't think the conspirators knew how many people were going to die. <laughs> <laughs> or, that it, or that it would end I, up I in their backyard. I believe, <laughs> I you think they're believe, sitting in a room going, whoa, that worked. That, yeah, there's American Greed, like that ID channel show. American Greed. Great, the Sackler family. It's not a conspiracy. Purdue Pharmaceutical developed a drug called Oxycontin. Oxycontin is the way that it's known, right? They, in their research... That what they were trying to produce was a great opioid that could get cancer patients end of life. And, I, and I've read all the material they had. Yeah. They, wanted to get, they wanted to get 
end of life people like grandpa who's 78 who has terminal stage five cancer that he can go to his grandchild's high school graduation that's actually in their stuff right to be able to liberate them from their yeah liberate them from their hospice beds to go to important family events and oxycontin was a drug that was going to do that relieve the pain of end of life cancer so that they could you know be at christmas stuff like that right Without addiction, that's my favorite. and and that it was less addictive because right. when they're scientifically coming up with a new version of morphine, they always say that it's going to be less addictive. I don't know why they always <laughs> say that. I don't know if they believe it or not, but that's what they thought about heroin. The Bayer Aspen Company thought this is not as addictive as morphine. This is going to be a great pain reliever, short acting, and mm-hmm. it's going to be less addictive than morphine. How did that go with the heroin? Yeah, you know, that's my favorite thing because what makes the opiates work is what makes them addicting. So it's like you can't have them be less addicting without having them be less effective. Maybe that they don't they don't teach it. See, we only went to high school and junior college, Chuck. Yeah, we're Maybe not when you enough. go to fancy <laughs> schools, they got a whole other theory about That's that. That's a different math, so I think. So then the next drug that comes along that they say the same things about in the research is methadone. The most addictive substance on earth. Impossible. Slow acting. Impossible to get off of. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So then and and so Oxycontin was this new thing. They believe the same hype of method as methadones and heroin. And unbelievably, in their research, they thought they found that yeah, maybe it is as addictive as heroin. But it's so needed by these cancer patients. And sure, some is going to be diverted to bad people and they'll abuse it. Worth it for the good. But worth it for the good. <laughs> the greater good. Right. Right? Grandpa. I, I believe they really didn't know what they had created. I really believe that. That the, if they would have talked to heroin addicts like us, they would have known. They should have had trials with heroin addicts. Hey, take this and wait, let's no, see what happens. Wait, is that us being Pollyanna <laughs> thinking... I want to believe that they didn't know this was going to happen, but a part of me, the cynical side, thinks they did, just didn't care. Well, Mike's conspiracy theory, he's always looking for a conspiracy theory. He <laughs> believes they knew it was going to happen and they don't, didn't care, and they were thinning the herd. But- Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking evil empire. Yeah. Man. But just when the, when the herd became kids that looked like them, they all cared all of a sudden, right? You know what the evil empire truly is? Is... I need a lot of money in order to be happy. That is the entire American theory of happiness, that you need extreme wealth in order to be happy. You need, you know, uh, you need a Tesla car. You need a fancy $1,000 iPhone in order to be happy. That's the mythology that got, it got introduced in the 1980s. Right with Boisky and and Mankin. What, what was the guy's name? Michael uh, Mankin. Right, junk bonds. I don't know. Right. So this idea that everybody should be wealthy, filthy rich. Right. I was repulsed by it. Right. As a punk rocker, as a you know anti you know dehumanization and capitalism, because capitalism only works. Uh, in in this in this extreme capitalism that we have, it always it it always has more victims than it has victors. Well, it you know what I mean? It has to. Don't you need ten losers but to America, make a winner? The American public's so stupid they they believe they're the ones that are going to be rich, and the next door neighbor is the one that's going to get fucked. Yeah, 
right? And so I don't have a I don't have individual conspiracies. I have this general big vast conspiracy that wealth equals happiness. That the American public was sold the idea that wealth equals happiness is the conspiracy, right? And sometimes I believe it. You know what I mean? When I get low on dough, I get a little nervous, I get a little scared, I get a little sad, I get a little cranky, right? Everybody's like that. We're going down a rabbit's hole about the conspiracy. I don't know why so many people are dying. I don't, I know that so many people are dying. I don't, I know why it is. It's on it's just okay, here we just go. Yeah, here just we go. search rehab Bob. So so uh so we know that people are dying. That's a fact. It's, it's indisputable. And and we know what caused what was the big bang of the dying was oxycontin. Right. Right? So so we've pretty much gotten rid of oxycontin at this point, right? And now we have this fentanyl and heroin and illicit black market and this huge demand in America. We have big pharma coming along saying Suboxone's the solution to it, mm -hmm. right? Ironically, a drug company came up with the solution to the problem that a drug company solved. That is so convenient That's, for the pharmaceutical industry. It's unbelievable. I mean, what, what are the odds? What they, are lucked the out, odds? they lucked out on that one. <laughs> So I, I've been around a lot and I, I wrote this blog today and I, I wanted to get Chuck's reaction to it. And um, okay, so it's called Why Now? You can go to Rehab Bob. A lot of this stuff, I, I don't know how people are finding us or whatever, but uh, there's been a little trouble finding Don't Die. So just go to my website. It's called RehabBob.com. It's, it's not a manipulative system. It's just an education system. It has a lot of stuff on it. So I'm going to read it to you. This is a new blog from this morning, right? Why now? You're going to hear a lot in the next couple of years about Suboxone, Subutex, Buprenorphin, MAT, medication-assisted treatment in general. You're going to hear, what is that? Okay. You're giving Chuck his phone back? <laughs> um, so so you're... You. You're going to hear the abysmal statistics about absence-based treatment, how it's old-fashioned and not evidence-based. Loudmouth mm. borderlines are going to talk about how punitive and archaic the 12-step programs are. You're going to be told that doctors and other expert by doctors and other experts that there is a new way to be sober, a shot or a pill or a strip under your tongue. The one thing I hope you as addicts will stop for a second and ask yourselves, because it will all sound very convincing. It will sound hopeful. It is, it is why, is, it, the question I want addicts to ask themselves is, why do all these people give a fuck about drug addicts all of a sudden? Nobody has hmm. given a fuck about drug addicts for a hundred years. Why are pharmaceutical companies and doctors and all the propagandists turning their attention to drug addiction all of a sudden? Because now there are millions of us, not thousands, millions, desperate and confused, wanting a way out of the cycle of addiction. We finally, we finally matter now, not because the people care about us, but because we are worth billions and billions of dollars to them. This is America. Let's just stop for a second and follow the money. Who benefits from this? The pharmaceutical industry, the psychiatric community, the rehab community, the, 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 um, these weird kind of sober coaches that are popping up everywhere, these companies, higher powered and all this shit, right? 
And so, so I say, love and compassion cost nothing. Human kindness is free. Telling the truth is priceless. Sharing ourselves with another is humanity's greatest gift to us. Community, art, creativity, empathy, these are the things that I believe in. Get well, help someone else get well. This is my belief. It is the only solution I believe. So, so, hmm. so that... That, I mean, we both work in the recovery industry. I'm very critical of the recovery industry. They've done a shitty job of helping people, right? The last five, six, seven years. A lot of people have gotten rich and not a lot of people have gotten help, right? Oh, we've yeah. got we've oh, got to accept that, right? No, and we've we've had a backlash on the industry and on our uh, on what we do for a living. We've gone from being helpers of people to being snake oil salesmen to being um, it's almost like so now the new snake oil salesmen are around. I met I met I, you know he's not even he's a nice guy. So I met the guy that invented Suboxone yesterday. I don't want to brag, but Ooh. it was he's How a pharmacol he's a pharmacologist from San Francisco. He's a nice guy and. If you listen back to the beginning, I don't want to quote him or whatever, but basically what I said in the beginning of this podcast, that maybe we just lost a whole generation of people and maybe their only hope is to just survive. That's really what Suboxone is because the death rate is approaching 100,000 a year, right? Right, right. right. So in 10 years, we'll lose a million people. Well, and that's just being American-centric, right? I mean, we're not even looking at worldwide. That's, those are crazy numbers. When people, people, I think we lose sight of the fact that that's just our little country. We, they, nobody dies of drugs elsewhere in the world. <laughs> no, they don't. They don't? They don't. No, it's fraction. Three, really? Three percent of what happens in America. America is the death capital from drugs in the world. USA. USA, number one. <laughs> We're finally number one at something. Damn. Uh, okay yeah. I, I i'm sorry sorry for that rabbit hole we'll no back. no what there is in other parts of the world is the the especially in mexico and in burma i forget what they call burma now in afghanistan it's the killing each other and the war over who gets to sell the drugs oh. to america so is that is that an afghani problem or a burma problem or a mexico problem or is that just a continuation of the death problem in america the consumerism of drugs that America creates in the world. It's still poppies. Right? It's, it, Damn why, plants. Why haven't you ever wondered, hey, Mike Mart, I bet you you've thought of this before. How come no drug addicts in like Hollywood or LA or Orange County ever like just planted a bunch of poppy plants? And then just I, score I, them it and doesn't connect grow. the goop. I've already researched it. It doesn't grow. <laughs> I knew, I knew Mike had thought of it. <laughs> Wait, there's, is, there's, is it like the Joshua trees that only grow like in a couple places on yeah, the planet? Man, it just doesn't grow. Can you can you hydroponic? Can you get a bunch You'd of lights in your house? Recreate. You'd You've got to be able to recreate Why that. Go through all that hassle when you can just get some fentanyl. <laughs> You know, that's just lazy, Mike. And that's why we're in third place. Yeah, we're There's third. only three don't die. The, the, guy, the guy in Syracuse just started the don't die this week, and he's ahead of us. <laughs> Let Mexico do all that hard work of refining it. Oh, man. Oh, Mike, there's got to be a way to create your own poppy oh. plants. There's got to. Just How come no junkies ever thought of it but Mike Mart, who oh, he researched it, then it sounded hard, and he didn't do it. Just think of this. Opium is really, really really hard to get because um the opium addicts don't give it up they don't they don't sell it they use it where opium 
Liquid opium? How many times have you smoked opium? It's paste, in your life, actually. In your well, drug I, I, using career. Yeah, but I, the, the only people, the people that I know that did it, were, they'd get it in like film canisters way back when, and it was liquid, and they could like dip, dip their tongues in it. Like no, really? Opium. I've yep. smoked it one time in my life. One time in my drug was it good? It, nobody gives it up. Was it good? They, the guys that use your it experience with it was it good? Yeah, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there it is. Yes. But Mike, you have no experience with fentanyl, so how would you know how to know. compare yeah, it? it? Could be just as you know, like the way the kids talk about fentanyl or something. the way the kids talk about fentanyl. It's just like it must be, it it must be the nirvana right before it's, death. It's to right die before for, death. Yeah, right. I mean, my God, to to risk that and to to know the overdose risk and how slight the percentage is. There's there's where we talk about the lost generation. The, uh, somebody willing to gamble with them with their life for a high instead of just wanting to be high or wanting to get out of their head or wanting they're maladjusted to life and wanting to fit in it's such a different thought the idea of i'd rather be dead if i can't be this high in existence i had well there's two drug uh, uh, things i want to talk about one was there's a couple of kids out at aloe now on the tuesday night meet they really do they're so honest and so amazing, some of these kids that are in treatment, right? And two of them talked to me afterwards, I think two weeks ago, about fentanyl. And they've been thinking about what I say about fentanyl, right? Good. That, that why can't you just do a little bit just to see if it's super strong that you might die of it? And the kid was so fucking honest, I, I could kiss him. It was so beautiful. And we need this kind of, these conversations. And that's what Don't Die is supposed to be about. He goes, Bob, I'm wanting to get really wasted. And if I get a little wasted, then I'm not going to be able to get really wasted. You know, you know what he's talking about. Only real drug addicts know what he's talking about. Because if you get a little high to test the, how, the potency of the dope, then when you try to get high on top of that, it's not going to be the same as getting... It's not the big boom. It's not the big boom. Yep. Right? The big bang. And I was like, oh, God, we really got to think about this, how, how we present these ideas. But um, but here's one thing I, I didn't say to him because it was a treatment setting and I didn't want to say this, but I'll say it on a podcast. <laughs> to everybody. Right? So <laughs> my thing was, and Mike, you remember, when there was really strong dope go going on the China White that, that Dominique had, that guy. Yeah, the guy and, down in West Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, West Hollywood. So he rode a I, motorcycle up. Yeah, to he'd ride a motorcycle up to. He'd be in an intersection. He would always say, "Meet me at Beverly and Switzer," right? And, and he'd go like there, an old and it'd be like it was. It was like he was like in brand new leathers and brand new motorcycle. Like, yeah, and he had a he had a girlfriend sometimes on the back, and, and he, he would go to Beverly shit. and Switzer, Beverly and Switzer, right? And you'd go there, and I, I don't mind blowing people's anonymity because, you know, it was 30 years ago. you go there, and Mike and, and his gal pal would be on, in one car on one corner. Brecker would be in the other corner, <laughs> Anthony and his girlfriend, and then I would pull up, then Double B would be there. It'd be like five of us all in cars parked away from each other, like, like not talking to each other, and then he would just pull by on his motorcycle and pull up to your car. Nice. Right? Or you'd get out of your car when he was in so your little you part of the block. The what were you saying about the post? So what I would do is, because sometimes I would, you know, I would go out from that if you shot it, right? Yeah, it was really it, it strong. It was really strong. So what I would do is I would snort a little bit just to make sure that it wasn't 
totally some stuff that I had gotten a month ago that Pussy. was too strong, right? <laughs> but then, no, but this is, I'm trying to get the Big Bang too. <laughs> right. And then I would see that it's like, all right, it's about the same as, as what it always is. But sometimes he had super strong dope that you, I would stop breathing. You don't want that. Yeah. Right? Well, you so, didn't. You didn't. Yeah, I didn't. Right. I wanted to keep living. Here's the other thing that Dr. Drew says sometimes. He goes, you wanted to keep, you didn't want to die because you wanted to keep using. And and a lot of times that kind of cynicism comes from the recovery industry. No, I I wanted to listen to music and play music. I wanted to do a lot of things, not just continue to use drugs. I think that sometimes we can be a little harsh with how we present ideas. I oh, did not. A lot of times. There was never a time when I was using drugs that I wanted to die. Right? Towards the end, I didn't care if I died. Big difference. Right. It's, There's big a big difference. It's not about wanting to die. It's about caring about living. These kids want to die. I'm convinced of it. Right? They don't have, they don't have anything in life that they appreciate. Uh, yeah. And I think it's that, it, it, it almost, it goes on that 51% thing. They're at 51% want to live, and it doesn't take a lot to knock them back over. You know, I always wanted to live and play music and meet girls and do stuff. The whole time I was shooting speedballs. The whole time. Now, when it got towards the end where I'd, you know, I didn't have a place to live and I'd, my career was over and all that fucked up shit at the last two years, I, I think I was like what Drew was saying. I just wanted to use another day, right? I just wanted to survive to be high, right? Mm -hmm. But I, and at that point, I know I didn't care whether I died. It seemed like I was already dead anyways, right? But what kept me going was using smoking crack and getting more money and steal a car. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? <clears throat> so anyways, these, when these kids say so honestly and heartfelt, like that blows what I'm trying to accomplish, which is that big burst thing. So what I'm going to say on the podcast, I didn't say it aloe, is I used to snort a little bit of Dominique's dope. I would realize, oh, this is regular, you know, whatever. This is not going to kill you. Then I would load up a bunch with Coke, and then I'd get the Big Bang. I've talked to other kids about this. They don't do Coke. No. What is wrong with them? Maybe that's why half of them are dying. Maybe we would have all died, Mike, if we didn't shoot speedballs. You know, and that's funny because exactly. they used to say speedballs were the what made it what dangerous, but that might have been what kept you guys alive. <laughs> it's like a Jack and Coke. That other, that little bit of mix might have kept the heart beating. God bless the Coke. Yeah, and so, and here's another thing. So, so mostly like Mike was into speedballs, uh, uh, but eventually. I just like shooting coke, shooting coke, shooting coke. Always had the syringe of heroin there. When I would get too far gone and really had run my course for like, say, four hours of shooting coke every 20 minutes, then I would do the dope and I would feel normal. Right? Mm. Now they're going to say, you know, this guy that I met yesterday is going to say, well, you could have died of a brain hemorrhage all the No, I did it every day for 15 years. I didn't die of a brain hemorrhage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. This whole, they exaggerate. And the recovery industry is guilty of this too. They exaggerate things that are very low risk, saying they're high risk, like smoking crack. Nobody dies of smoking crack. I don't care. You can show me, you know, 6,000, 8,000 people that maybe died of smoking crack, right? I can show you 350,000 kids that have died in the last five years from shooting oxycontin and and mixing benzos and oxycontin right that's a deadly thing 
right, saying right. that smoking crack is deadly and equal to that is a fucking misleading statement no, it, that annoying. doctors and drug rehabs and all these fucking places love to say. It's not true, no, right? I, it's a nuisance. It, it's a, it's a nuisance and it's a pain in the ass. I'm not saying do it, of course, but is it is it is it going to kill you? No, it'll it'll turn your life inside out. Well, that's what I was going to say. So the kid says to me, I, I kind of did say that in a certain way. I said, well, I did drugs differently. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I know, you're like a speedballer, right? Because they think of speedballers as like old ancient dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> the, the golden ones. Right? Back in the day. It's like how we viewed Shanana <laughs> back in the day. Golden yeah, oldies. What's with that Bowser dude? Speedballers are like Shanana. So so I said, well, well, and he goes, our version of that is meth, right? Meth is a whole different yeah. fucking other category of drugs. Not the same That animal. is yeah. way more destructive than cocaine. It makes you psychotic. It makes you fucking crazy and people not want to be around you. Now, doctors. <laughs> hey, I don't not- know, man. There was this one time. There was this one time in Texas. I was completely passed out. Chris Gates just shot me up while I was out. And I came back and we played the show. There you go. Okay, so it does have a medicinal use. It does have its purpose. It, it has no. its, in a tool bag, but it, in general, there's a reason so think drug about addicts this. go tweakers suck. There's uh, no, a reason people there's say a, that. Yeah, there, there's a reason why when, when, you think, when I think about meth, it's like the worst drug. It's the worst drug to me. But it's battery acid. But, it can't but be bad for I, you. I don't care about scaring kids about what's in it. It just makes you stupid and gross and stick <laughs> stick wires up your penis and do violent it makes you do violent crazy horrible shit what wires it up a, your penis it, listen it made a guy i knew kill his mother oh man now well, we're that's good. not funny. now now you're depressing me no well you didn't know her you, <laughs> you know what <laughs> you got a mix <laughs> Think about it, you'll know. It was one of Mike Bart. I'm not joking. He, it's one of the most famous drummers in the world. Killed his mother while on a meth run. Oh goodness! And if you've ever heard Layla, he's also a piano player. Oh my god! Hmm. Right. So so you know people get psychotic. Right. Why? You know, right, cocaine right. psychosis is different. You always know you're in cocaine psychosis. When you're in meth psychosis, you don't know that you're in meth psychosis. You're just psychotic like every other psychotic person on the face of the earth. Cocaine psychosis is different. It's more mild. I've had it ten, you know, a thousand times, right? I've had meth psychosis that you can't come out of and you can't separate yourself from. Oh, no, from. you, 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 you it, can't it's come out of it. It's the real crazy. I, I know what you're saying here. It's that sort of like lucidity. When you're in the cocaine thing, you know you're not thinking right. You, I, at least I knew that I knew where reality was. I wasn't was gonna going to hurt on. anybody. Right. In, in meth psychosis, I, there was a potential where you just think trippy shit oh, yeah. no, and no. slit in somebody's throat and all kinds of crazy shit. That is a fucking evil drug. So combine this now, guys. So combine this now. Wait a second. Now they're using heroin that takes your soul away and makes you a slave and suck dick and do whatever you got to do to fucking not be sick. And they're using the evilest drug ever made. You say it's evil, but the Nazis used it. 
Mike's going to defend meth. I can feel Mike trying to defend no, meth right defend now. Meth. You're exactly right. It, it does cause this weird psychosis, but I think it's only when you use the meth alone. <laughs> I, I, no, no, no. You know what I mean? Like if you're if you're just one of those people that only uses meth, then that's the problem. And there aren't very many of those, by the way. There aren't very many people that only use meth. Most most Drew, people. Oh, there's use, plenty. What are you talking about? They're out you in know, the desert. I know, but it, I know some people that that you know put a little meth in their coffee in the morning, and it's a bad drug. There's there's it has no redeeming qualities to it other than. You like if you like sticking things up your penis. What the hell is this sticking things up your penis thing? I had a friend in Hollywood years ago, Chuck. <laughs> okay. Who who on meth psychosis decided that putting wire up his penis was very pleasurable, and he put a, f- many feet of metal oh, wire up goodness. his penis hole, and so I never forgot Ouch. that. I was like twenty, and I really idolized this guy, and I was like. This is this math stuff is bad. <laughs> At that point, what? you know, this math stuff is bad. So, anyways, let's rate the drugs, okay? Most destructive drug. Let's get a let's get an agreement, Mike. What do you think is the most destructive drug? I think you can use and function on heroin for a really long yes, time. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. But cocaine will take you down faster than any of those two are drugs. you lumping meth and cocaine together no, i'm saying that coke when you really get into it will bring you down quick i think that you the, can only do coke consistently no for like here's, maybe a here's of the years. problem of coke the kids that i talked to two weeks ago said coke's really expensive right it's expensive coke has and always it's short been acting. expensive it's, short too. it's always been expensive it's cost prohibitive mm-hmm. right it's still very expensive it's, it's 10 times as expensive as meth apparently that's why it's right? so good so and you use way more of it right so it's like so, ca- it's like caviar so so maybe <laughs> maybe speedballers are only for rock musicians that have a lot of money maybe that's just a thing of the past because there are no rock musicians that have a lot of money anymore right, they're, all bro- <laughs> they're all broke yeah way to go napster <laughs> Napster. Napster killed the speedball. That's what Napster. Napster is the reason why there's no speedballers anymore. No wonder. Fucking Napster. I hate that guy. Oh, that Damn. guy. Goddamn, Chuck, you pulled no, that out of your ass from the nineties, man. When I was a kid, though, I like, you know, John Belushi was the first one, I guess. That, but that had been going on. Apparently, you know the girl that shot up John Belushi. I kind of knew her. Kathy Evelyn Smith. Her name was right. Yeah, right. She. Right. Um, How do I know that? She was Gordon Lightfoot's wife. Did you oh, know really? that? So I always thought, is Gordon Lightfoot a speedballer? I always wondered that. I never have verbalized that anywhere. But if your wife is like the most famous speedballer administrator in the world. That might suggest that you might speedball, doesn't it? I'm suddenly going to have to go listen to some Gordon. Oh, I, I bet you. <laughs> Sundown, you better take care. So, yeah, so that song right there. Want to hear a funny Kathy Evelyn Smith story? Okay. I was a meth dealer. <laughs> I just realized. I just realized that I used to deal meth. Oh, you're a I'm bad so man. Bad. I have like it's as if I have like six different Did lives. Did you forget and that? All, until I just forgot. Now? I forgot. 
list. <laughs> Another bad thing. <laughs> it's not that evil, people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it really wasn't bad. Suddenly it, it inspired kamikazes. <laughs> it got the Nazis to march. <laughs> it suddenly it really important seem so World bad. War II. In the early stages of Thelonious March. <laughs> <laughs> what a dick. Before Mike was in it, I didn't have any money. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. There's Sydney. Uh, Hi, hi, hi. <laughs> Sydney's outside with Chrissy. Oh, nice. Outside there you go. So, so, uh, so, she's saying da-da, da-da, da-da. You can bring her in here, Chrissy. So, uh, so, so, so Bob, Bob, I was dealing math. It was 1985, I think, uh, or 84, and so just started. We hadn't even made the first record. Now, I was living at Chris and Mitch Hansen's house, Mike, in Echo Park, and a friend of mine ha- was a speed dealer. And this other friend of ours, Mike Mart, you know him too, John Arnoldy, great guy, yes. great writer, famous writer, right? Uh, yeah. He um he had a he had a taste for the for the math, but he did it really hmm. he did it really like a professional. He used it to write. To right? stay up on that. Yeah, writing. to put it in his coffee type. Like thing. a student. So hmm. so he he was he would buy like a two a gram from me once in a while i think it was like 60 bucks and i would get it for 40 make 20 bucks and then i'd ask for some right he'd be like i'm rich (laughs) (laughs) i got 20 bucks in a bunch of meth i'm fucking great man this is 1984 people 20 bucks was like 100 bucks it's like a great business model Yeah. yeah so so one day, John calls, and there were no pay phones or, pe- or uh, cell phones or anything. He called the home phone. Hey, can I come by? And I'd be like, yeah. And he would pick me up at my house, and we'd drive over around the corner from the drug dealer, because I didn't want him to know and of cut me out not. of it. Right. right? We'd right. park around the corner on Silver Lake Boulevard. I would say, give me the money. I would run in. I would also, I hate, John is probably going to hear this. I would also steal some from him inside the house, right. too. Of course. That's so bad. No, because you're going to ask him to kick you down some too. It's so bad. Well, you you lie and go, hey, dude, I didn't pinch it, so you should kick. Yeah, but this was a lot of meth for 60 bucks. Probably time to come clean with him about that. And so, yeah, I'm just making amends to John Arnoldy. I'm so sorry, John. (coughs) I'm not sorry for taking the 20 bucks and the kick down, but I am sorry for the little bit that I took. Like, I would do one big fat line inside the house. Just right? about a quarter. Yeah, about, about <laughs> one-fourth of the baggie, right? So so he comes to pick me up one day at the little Echo Park uh, uh, Elementary School at Echo Park Boulevard, way at the top of Echo Park Boulevard, and that's where I would meet him, and I would walk down from the house, and I get in the, in the back seat of his car, and he's in the passenger seat, and there's a woman driving. And I was like, and this had happened before. He had a, a, a woman that he worked with a lot, and... But it wasn't her. <clears throat> so then I, I'm, he's telling her, and then I'm telling her, like, no, go over Baxter and go blah, 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 right? And I don't really see the woman. So then I get the meth, and I, I give them the meth, and then I said, are you guys going to Hollywood? Can you drop me off in Hollywood? Because now I got 20 bucks. I want to go drinking, right? Oh, okay. 20 bucks in meth. What, are you, you going to go back home to Echo Park and watch TV? <coughs> no. Yeah. I want to go to Hollywood to Bordner's and drink. So he goes, yeah, I'm going back to my house. And I said, okay, well, let me ride with you over there. So we're riding. And I remember we're at the Sunset Hollywood Boulevard Junction where you're right. making a left turn on Sunset on, you know, to stay on Sunset. Where and they Hollywood, split. Hollywood goes yeah. straight, right? And they snort big lines in the middle console, the armrest thing. 
the woman does, snorts a big line. And she turns to me and goes, oh my God, this is good stuff. Uh, do you have a point? I'd like to run some of this stuff later. And I was like, I'm not really a drug dealer. And I look at her, and it's Kathy Evelyn Smith! <laughs> and she's on trial for killing John Belushi! She's on the news every night! And she, good, wow. And she wants a needle from me! Oh, goodness. And I was like, I, I didn't have one. I was like, what are you, uh, and, I, and then I'm looking behind us like, cops must follow somebody that's on trial for murder, don't they? Apparently they don't. <laughs> not, not in LA they don't. She was on the news every night and I knew that face and I was like, oh my God. And she just asked me for a needle. That was one of my greatest experiences in drug, uh, drug addict history. That's Wouldn't crazy. you say? That, I scored meth for Kathy Evelyn Smith when she was on trial for John Belushi. That's, that's crazy, that's right? That's good stuff. That's good stuff. So, yeah. So, all, I take back all the bad things I said about meth. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, it's good. <laughs> it's good if, in small doses. Small doses good. in your coffee. <clears throat> right. But anyways, it is Hey, pretty... I knew a girl that was really in the like, everyday user and always put it in her coffee. Yeah. There's a lot of people I knew put it in. The guys out in Joshua Tree that do do it like that. Yeah, but that's a different world, man. The people in 29 Palms where my kid lived for a while. That was crazy out there. So one time, I i mean, well, a couple of times, I quit doing heroin by just staying up on speed, right? Yeah, and one yeah. time I quit heroin for an entire year and just shot speed, right? And when I would write a song, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but when I wrote a song, I would wake up and it would be gone until I did the speed again. And then it would come right back. <laughs> I'd go. I'd play the song perfectly, but until I did the speed, I couldn't remember the fucking song. I know, song. but Mike, often songwriters write the songs down or record them. <laughs> well, not when you're Deep really, record. really <laughs> high on speed. When you play really it so many times. Speed. When you play oh, it so many times, over and over, you're I sure. I've you're got sure you got it. Full of speed stuff that are just they're just some most are just horrible, but. I, I think I did my worst. Well, do you remember how, how they go? Do you remember how to play? God, this is just turning into speed stories. Do, do you I remember a... how to play them, Chuck? <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah, you know because I have the recordings. Oh, you recorded them. Okay, open you... open air recording on a on a game. I'm saying a... that if you didn't have the recordings, if you didn't, the speed you... would bring the song back. I right get back. it. I like get it. Instant recall. Maybe we so, should do a little speed can I and sing, see what we come up with. Can I sing a speed song that Flea and Anthony and I wrote? Uh, yeah, we had by a band. We had a band. Mike, you were there. You probably don't remember. We got we got into we got into shooting speed a little bit when we were younger, and we formed a band called the Lullienda Tweakers. Oh, the yes, Lolienda was where we lived. It was an apartment building. Okay. We were proud of it. it the Oleander. The, the Lolienda Ol Tweakers. And we played only one gig at the Cafe de Grand, opening hmm. for Blood on the Saddle. I remember hmm. because the Chili Peppers had already kind of were the a, 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 one of the bigger bands in LA, right? So Flea was kind of that offended. That means they headlined the music machine. Yeah, they headlined. They could sell out the music machine. But Flea was kind of offended that the Lillianda Tweakers were opening for Blood on the Saddle. So we oh, went and so got that. We were all tweaked out on meth. We went and got the ladder at the Cafe de Grand, and Flea went up and changed the marquee and put Lillianda Tweakers on the top. <laughs> <laughs> Blood on the Good Saddle. For Flea. And so we played, and I still remember one of our songs, and it went like this. Oh, Prince of Sadness. And then Anthony would sing, I'm the Prince of Sadness. And then I would sing, 
uh, you're the prince of sadness. And then he had this whole long talk uh, poem about being the prince of sadness. And basically the sadness was when we didn't have meth. Those feelings of sadness when there is a lack of methamphetamine in your bloodstream. I think I'm going to cry. Oh, Prince of Sadness, I'm the Prince of Sadness. He's the Prince of Sadness. (laughs) (laughs) I already don't like it. (laughs) But wait, but wait, you got to know the instrumentation. (laughs) Flea was the drummer. Anthony was the bass player singer, and I was the guitar player, background singer. And I wish somebody had had captured, like they do now with the YouTube all the time, mm-hmm. that one performance. Because we had another song that said, every t- we used to call doing meth going uptown, like Duke Ellington. And mm-hmm. we had a song that said, mm-hmm. every time I go, every, it was a kind of a funky song. It said, every time we go uptown, we end up jamming around. Every time we go uptown, we end up jamming around. That was the whole song. <laughs> and we did it for like five minutes. <laughs> And then, sounds great. And we had a lot of. Feed. In order to capture that back in the day, you would have had to have a suitcase-sized VHS <laughs> yeah. video recorder. Dang but it. so I take back everything I bad I said about meth. But I am sad for the kids. <laughs> the kids are doing the fentanyl and the meth. That's their version of a speedball. Two totally and, non non organic drugs. And we yeah. get very we get very joking around about all this and stuff. But we care that people are dying, and that's why you know. I mean, it's sad. It's like it's, uh, it is weird that that we have to come to grips as a, as parents as a nation. So g- getting all the way back to S- Suboxone guy. He, Suboxone he, guy he was believe, a nice guy, but, but he believes that that he believes th- Purdue started this problem, and the only th- that 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 the reco- one thing he truly believes, and I he I every he's like a politician, so everything he said about the recovery industry, absolutely true. Mm. Body brokering, every call center is mm-hmm. is a fucking con artist. You cannot trust the recovery industry. That's that's going to be Suboxone's main argument, right? Right. It's it's a it's a truthful argument. Right. Right? So here's so Drew and I were very Drew was a little discouraged afterwards and I said, Listen, I just I realized so the Suboxone guy's gonna take over, right? And everybody's gonna be able to put on medication assisted treatment. Treatment the profit of treatment's gonna go away in the next five years. Right? That's a good thing. All the profiteers and all the scumbags that got into the recovery industry, they'll vanish. Guess what, Mike? Me and Chuck will still be here. And so will <laughs> so will Patrick and Kevin and the guys in Milwaukee. All the workers who care about addicts and want to help will still fucking be here. Yep. When all the profiteer scumbag owners get the fuck out of the industry. So in the and here's my here's the Oh, I like that. Here's the hopeful thing. Five years Suboxone's not gonna solve it. It's no. just going to create uh, survival for all these addicts. And in five years, they're going to want to get off Suboxone yeah, and get treatment. sober. And we're going to be the ones to get them sober. Absolutely. Good. I am hopeful. Hallelujah, people. There we go. Five but years. But it's going to take five years. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I think the longest I've seen anybody go on Suboxone and then they come back because they, they need to get off it is a couple years. I've yeah. seen people, they do it about two years, and that is a rough-ass kick, people. Be aware of what you're getting yourselves into. But but make no mistake, yeah, the recovery industry has made billions of dollars off this uh, off this epidemic and off Obamacare and the Parity Act. Um, why do you think the pharmaceutical industry wants to get in on it? 
to be altruistic and helpful. You know, you know what's funny though is I can't. I, I don't yeah. understand how come you don't uh, don't believe in the conspiracy theory of all this. <laughs> I just don't get it. Because like, okay, they're, repla- they're replacing they're, repla- they're replacing rehabs with Suboxone. The pharmaceuticals are making are making money off. You'd of that. have to get they a bunch sat of people in a room and they said, you know what? How can we that, get yeah. in on this no. rehab thing where we don't get people sober? We don't get people sober. We just put them on something that we sell them. Well, it's not Purdue that came up with Suboxone. It's just other company but 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 anyway same thing but no i think the suboxone you could, you could argue they're even more uh, more of a conspiracy and more evil because this drug you know this drug is for life i mean with their model you were on suboxone if you get put on suboxone at 23 you're mm-hmm. going to be on it for 50 years you're going to be paying them for suboxone for 50 years oh that's a, that's a great customer that's a great customer. And if you got 17 yeah. million people paying you 500 bucks a month for 50 years, how much money is that? A lot? That's more than, that's, that's more than all the recovery be industry more than made. more like a thousand for sure. That's, <laughs> that's a lot of thousands. Yeah, or, or in the future, they'll figure <laughs> yeah. out implants that you could just get. Oh, they in. already have them. They have own implants are coming. An implant that you, impl- that you change out every year. Well, and, and you and pay then so much money for the, it. The other side of that is they've made bupropion such a, a household name that they use it for weight loss now and it controls the pleasure center okay, so, so to sum this up people there is nothing like being complete completely sober there's nothing fucking love like it. there is nothing like love it allows love into your life and and everybody i think including the sacklers including the the suboxone pro- provocateurs everybody is looking for love and wholeness it's the greatest thing when you're a drug addict i've always said it like i was forced to become a loving whole healthy person out of what addiction caused my life to be other people don't have that pushing at them that the hounds were nipping at my heels to love and thrive is how i always put it right now there's other pathways that are going to divert you up into the hills. That there is no love up there on Suboxone maintenance. <laughs> There's no love up on Suboxone. Wow, maintenance. that's like a song, man. <laughs> I know uh, that was. I, uh, I, I'm telling it. you, I'm, it's, it's a visual thing. It's a totally visual thing. <laughs> I saw the saw the hounds there and is everything. There's no I'm love up on Suboxone. You know, and 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 I get insecure and sad and lonely and all those kinds of things. That's the human condition you're trying to avoid. These fucking people don't want you to be human. All you have to do is learn how to tolerate. That's it. And from learning how to tolerate the uncomfortable feelings comes overwhelming joy and love that you cannot get from a pill. You cannot get it from a shot. You cannot get it from a strip. You can't. And so that's Mm. really the battle at, at the soul of all addicts in America. Do you want... To just survive? Do you want to just kind of be like, you know, however you are right now, just not going to die? Or do you want the other side of recovery and the other side of sobriety that is deep and rich and painful and exciting and joyous? And that's what we're selling. And I'm selling it for fucking free, people. It's fucking free. That's the truth. Yeah, that's the, the truth. The whole human experience is worth having. 
And you can't have the good go without through the, the bad. Pain, I love man, what you're saying. Just get to the other side, man. That's a good message. I want to, you know, I just want to break. I want to, I want to break even. That's my whole thing. I just, I had so much suffering. I, I deserve some joy. I deserve some wholeness. Addicts suffer like miserable, agonizing, deep, painful fucking feelings of, of dehumanizing, devaluing yourself. Yourself and this existence is all you fucking got. That's the thing that people don't understand. You know, maybe so, somebody, we were talking about trauma earlier on a podcast with Chrissy. I grew up in a nursing home, right? My family owned a nursing home. I saw people die all the time. I saw my grandma die. I was there with her dead body in a room. Five years old, seven nice. years old. I have lived my whole life knowing that this is finite. I think people need to understand that. To get, you, you only get 50 or 60 or 70 years at this. You've got to fucking appreciate it, right? It's worth it, yeah. It's, and, and I think it was a gift being around so much death as a kid. Like I knew, like this fucking ends. My, you know what I mean? We're so trying to protect our children from knowing that this fucking ends. It's, it's ridiculous. They don't value it. They don't value life. Right, right. Well, and that, I think that, that, that starts with whatever you and Chrissy are talking about too. That comes back to the home. That comes back to the home. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that, uh, that there is loss. And that's why we, we should always be so f grateful that we're alive and that we're, we have love in our lives and we've got abundance. We've got abundance. You know, my dad used to say something that me and my sisters used to fucking joke about. And then when I was in my 20s, I, would, I really like pounded away at how stupid it was. It was profound. And that was, and you find things like that out about your dad, don't you? Yes. My dad had been dead 20 years, and I realized All that shit he, he used smart. to say was fucking smart. Yeah. And so I hate peas and carrots and broccoli and vegetables. I, I, I like broccoli now, but I, I, like peas and carrots just look like something you shouldn't eat to me, right? And they come out the same way they go in. I don't like foods like that. Okay. So I don't want to be graphic, but I never liked vegetables. And my dad used to, oh, you couldn't leave the table until your plate was clean, right? We had these old-fashioned, like, 1890s dinners every night. And, and you couldn't leave the table until your plate was clean, right? Just like a joke in some wonder, you know, the Wonder Years show, right? Yeah. And my dad used to get angry sometimes when I'd push him around and all the cliches that are in movies, right? And he'd say, God damn it, Bobby. Because he, he used to also cuss at us, which was fantastic as a parent. I think more parents should cuss at their children. He'd say, God damn it, Bobby. You know, there are people starving to death in China. He always used to say China. Because apparently China was where people were starving in the 1960s. <laughs> I think right? that is the spot. I don't that, know. Was it the spot? Not, so he used to say, not people anymore, are starving to death in China. And you're here sitting here playing games with food. Eat your fucking food. He didn't say fucking. He said, eat your food. And then, of course, I would just swap, you know, put it all in my mouth and be gagging. Like, but I could swallow it down, right? That, that thing of you're so fucking fortunate, young man. Mm. He reminded us of that every day. Are we reminding our children how fortunate we all are every day? Because my dad did. No, and the country hasn't gone through a, a depression. 
But that's, yeah, my dad lived through the Depression, but that, that thing that he instilled in all of us, you are fortunate. And he did it in a punitive, negative, whatever you want to say about bad parenting. I'm sure it's very day class A to tell your kids to eat their vegetables because there's people starving in Ethiopia, right? I mean, I just know that but no parents you, are saying that to children these no, days. But, but there are. There are there are people that don't have food in within 100 miles of here. Within 10 miles of here, there are people that are starving. Yeah, I mean, the idea that we are, you know, to be thankful for what you have on a daily basis is, is gone. And sobriety has brought gratitude into my life of that, of how fortunate I am, how fortunate I am to have friends like you guys, to be able to talk wow. and do these things, to have a beautiful family. I'm lucky. Now, things are shitty. Shit happens. Shit, fucked up shit happens. So what? That's what life is about. That's what sobriety is about. That's what this whole thing that we're talking about. And we don't describe it well enough to people. We don't. We make it seem like a bunch of rules and a bunch of bullshit. It's about feeling whole and feeling love and feeling appreciative and feeling compassion and feeling empathy it's about being human and taking suboxone is dehumanizing it is it just dulls the senses you know it yeah. keeps you there it keeps you there you know it doesn't get you away here's from the it. greatest last fact i'll leave you with you can look up the blog at rehab bob or whatever doctors aren't allowed to practice medicine if they're on suboxone how about that they're the ones that provide that prescribe it to millions of americans what they're saying is, this shit is good for you, you but, but it ain't fucking good for us. Oh, oh I Think got about that. I got nothing on that. You guys have a great night. <laughs> yeah, baby. I want my doctor on meth. <laughs> Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you the call. Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die podcast. Got a hundred people a day dying of drug overdoses and it's gotta stop. Allo Treatment Centers wants it to stop. We want people to get educated about drugs, about treatment. We want you to learn, laugh, and live, but first and foremost, don't die.